Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining. Remember, you can also join me, Stephen Henderson, and the Detroit Today team tonight for a smart politics happy hour, COVID style. Instead of getting together in person at a bar or a restaurant here in town, we are going to get together on Zoom, so you can make your own drink, sit down at your computer or your laptop or your tablet, and we'll talk about all things politics in 2020. We'll talk about the presidential election, we'll talk about the Senate race here in Michigan, and I'm really eager to hear from you guys about uh, the things that you're thinking about as we get closer and closer to November 3rd when all the ballots will be cast. To attend, all you have to do is register in advance at WDET.org slash events. Again, that is tonight at 7 p.m. Up first today, according to the Pew Research Center, healthcare is second only to the economy when it comes to issues that will affect Americans' choices next Tuesday when they vote. Affordable and accessible health care certainly hangs all in the balance right now. Republicans and President Trump have pledged to repeal the Affordable Care Act, and the law's fate could soon be decided by a Supreme Court, which just solidified a really conservative majority. All this hour, we're going to talk about all of the ways this election could affect health care for us here in the United States, how those issues are affecting voters' choices this November, and, of course, we want to hear from you. Tell us how issues with our healthcare system are affecting your life. Have you had an unexpected health problem that threatened to derail your life or your finances? Do you have a pre-existing condition? And have you faced consequences from provisions in the Affordable Care Act? How is health care factoring into the choices you are about to make next Tuesday? That is where we want to begin the conversation Today And we've got two guests to help frame this issue for us. Marion Udow Phillips is the founding executive director of the Center for Health Research Transformation at the University of Michigan and former director of the Michigan Department of Human Services. Marianne, welcome back to Detroit Today. Great to be here. Also with us is Yasmin Abutalib. She is a health policy reporter with The Washington Post. Yasmin, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Okay, uh, Marianne, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what's your assessment of what the last four years under President Trump have meant for health care access and affordability, especially here in the state of Michigan? Well, there, there certainly is no question that the last four years with regard to health care have been pretty chaotic. Um, and the Trump administration has issued numerous rules, uh, changed regulations, and we have pretty clear data to see what's happened as a result of those changes. And essentially, the changes that have been implemented by the Trump administration have meant that more people are uninsured in Michigan today than they were at the start of the Trump administration. So even before COVID-19, even before the pandemic, um, people in Michigan were losing coverage as a result of the Trump administration rule changes. And for many people still, even with coverage, healthcare remains unaffordable. Hmm. Um, uh, your work on healthcare issues that affect some of the most vulnerable Michiganders, uh, what issues are you thinking that are going to be most important to them this election as they go and, and make choices uh, about who's going to lead us? 
Uh, well, we certainly know from all the polling data that the thing that's most on people's minds is the COVID-19 pandemic mm -hmm. and who is going to be most effective in leading us through this pandemic, making, uh, you know, improving our health, making a care available and accessible. So we know that that has, you know, overshadowed everything else when it comes to healthcare. But we also know that for many people, uh, the issue of affordability of healthcare is fundamental. And uh, as well as the coverage issues um, are really critical for so many citizens in, in Michigan. So, you know, even in the pandemic, it, it, you know, uh, situation where we've seen people with coverage they're still getting things that they were experiencing before the pandemic, like surprise medical bills, where they go into the hospital, they think they're doing everything right, and they come out uh, and they have bills they didn't expect. And so affordability of care, access to care is, is certainly crucial to Michiganders. Hmm. Uh, Yasmin, I wonder what your assessment is of what the last four years under President Trump have meant for health care access and affordability across the country. Of course, we've got very uh, a couple of live balls, I guess, uh, in the air about uh, about some of the questions around the ACA right now, especially the one uh, at the court. But but catch us up on where we are uh, since uh, President Trump was elected. I, I agree. It's it's been chaotic in the in the first year. You had this this mad dash to try to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act that ultimately failed, but. Um, the administration has been able to chip away at the law through regulations, mostly at HHS, um, and weaken the law. So, um, you know, as it was pointed out earlier, you know, there are fewer people who are insured than at the start of the administration. Um, and on November 10th, the, well, the Supreme Court will start hearing oral arguments on the law. And I think a, a critical part of this is that for a, a couple of years now, there's been, it's almost a running joke that there's this there's been a promise of a big health care plan that would be revealed in, in two weeks. And we haven't really seen a big comprehensive plan for how they would replace the Affordable Care Act if the Supreme Court were to strike it down. Um, so, you know, the president did a, a sort of big health care event and speech a few weeks ago, but it was really vague. It just sort of said he would re protect people with pre-existing conditions, but didn't lay out how. Um, so we still don't know, even if the court were to strike down the law, how it would be replaced. And then, of course, if um, the president doesn't win and uh, there is a, a Biden administration, um, you know, there is actually a, a pretty simple fix Congress could implement if it wanted to, to nullify that the case before the Supreme Court, you know, where the law would still stand. But it's just a matter of what the makeup of Congress would look like, uh, you know, who is the president and, and basically the will of lawmakers uh, to either see the law fall or to, to continue to make sure it works. So I'm not sure that our listeners really understand what the upcoming case is at the Supreme Court uh, where the law is is being tested. I mean, everybody remembers uh, that uh, the court weighed in on one, some provisions of the law a few years ago. This is a different question. Uh, catch them up on what is at stake here and what the court might do. Sure. So, I mean, the question before the court this time is that because Congress zeroed out the individual mandate in their 2017 tax repeal, um, so, you know, the Affordable Care Act used to have a, a penalty for most Americans if they didn't purchase health insurance, mm -hmm. and it was a sort of sliding penalty based on income. Um, they zeroed out that penalty. Um, and so the argument that uh, 
I think about 18 Republican attorneys general as, and the administration is supporting this argument are making is that because the individual mandate has been zeroed out, the rest of the law is now unconstitutional and should go with the mandate. Um, so that's the that's the case before the Supreme Court. And you actually have a lot of conservative legal scholars who say this is not a good legal argument. Uh, they they don't think this is this is one of the the better arguments that's been brought against the Affordable Care Act. But of course, that question will rest with the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about health care policy and health care politics uh, as we get closer to the November third presidential elections and all the other choices that we're going to make uh, at the ballot box. Uh, we would love to hear from you this hour. Call and tell us how health care issues are affecting your vote in this election, which candidates are saying the right things to you about health care and which ones are saying the wrong things. Do you think Joe Biden or Donald Trump has the better plan for the future of health care in this country? Also, call and tell us your health care stories. Do you have a pre-existing condition? Uh, what has that meant for your access to affordable health care? Have you had a major health crisis that affected your life or your finances. Tell us about how our healthcare system has affected you directly. Also, give us a call and let us know what role uh, the healthcare system in this country has played for you during the pandemic. Uh, if you're someone uh, who had COVID, uh, what was your experience with uh, the ACA? As always, the number here on the phones is 313 577 1019. That's 313 313- 577-1019. You can also uh, go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to include those comments uh, in the conversation. Uh, Marianne, before we get to listeners, uh, tell us about the future of Michigan's Medicaid expansion, which covers several hundred thousand low-income people here. It was probably the most significant accomplishment uh, of, of the administration of Rick Snyder, a Republican governor here. Uh, how, how could this election affect that? Yeah, the, the Healthy Michigan Plan is an amazing success and has been crucial in this moment with uh, COVID-19. We now have actually over 800,000 people enrolled in the Healthy Michigan Plan, uh, a huge increase from 2019 when we had just 523,000 enrolled. So you can, you can see the impact of the pandemic. You can see the impact of the Affordable Care Act because Medicaid has become a fundamental safety net for people who've lost their jobs as a result of the pandemic. And so, you know, Healthy Michigan's a really interesting story in Michigan. Before the pandemic, the legislature in Michigan wanted to impose work requirements to limit uh, who could be eligible for Healthy Michigan and and limit it for a certain period of time and require people to be working in order to become eligible. That was very controversial, uh, particularly with the Whitmer administration. really were opposed to that implementation. And there's been a number of states have tried to implement that. That was one of the things the Trump administration was encouraging. And so there are a lot of lawsuits on it. There had been a stay on that before COVID-19, but I think now uh, even our Republican legislature would not go back to that in this moment because the pandemic has really changed everything. But the election does, uh, you know, create a challenge, depending on which way it goes, for the future of Medicaid, because we know that the Trump administration has tried to reduce uh, the Medicaid 
coverage quite significantly. Work requirements is one example, but they actually tried to move it to block grants and other approaches that would really have limited the number of people who could be enrolled under Medicaid. So this election has a big impact, could have a big impact on Michigan. We know that if the Trump administration uh, or, or President Trump is reelected, he said he wants to undo the Affordable Care Act that would eliminate this Medicaid expansion so important to so many people. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> no, Joe Biden is proposing something entirely different really to expand Medicaid. So it's a very significant election for Michiganders and who depend on Medicaid. Yeah. Uh, Ed on Twitter says, can we please stop saying repeal and replace? There is no replacement plan, nor has there been for six years. Uh, Yasmin, talk about this this crusade that Republican lawmakers have been on since the Affordable Care Act uh, was passed to, to undo it. Uh, they keep saying, look, we want to get rid of this, but we want to replace it with something that they say will be better. We have not ever seen a plan from them that would that would replace it. Talk about how likely it is that that they would just get rid of it and send us back, you know, as Marianne is talking about, to to the bad old times when everyone was kind of fending for themselves uh, with health care. There, there is a political calculus there that I think probably prevents that from actually happening uh, but it's something you know that they can run against uh, pretty successfully and 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 complain about uh, but but talk about that tension between the idea of actually getting rid of it uh, and and uh, replacing it with something uh, that they that they think might work better it's it's been an interesting journey actually uh, because like you pointed out after the law was passed in in 2010 they did campaign against this for eight years um, and then when there was finally the chance to repeal it with a Republican-controlled House, Senate, and White House, um, the efforts to repeal it were, were hugely unpopular, and the Affordable Care Act reached record popularity. Mm -hmm. And then it became, I think the threat became very real for people that if this law went away, that, you know, there would no longer be these protections for people with pre-existing conditions. Um, millions of people would lose health insurance because the Medicaid expansion would go away. So I think the the actual fight to try to repeal it, not just the talking point, but the legislative proposals and the reality of what that would mean crystallized for people, not only the bad parts of the law, but the parts of the, the protections in the law that they enjoyed. So you've actually seen, I think, in the last couple of years since this, this failure to repeal it in Congress, a lot of congressional Republicans actually back off wanting, talking about repealing the law. And it was interesting during the confirmation hearings uh, for Justice Amy Coney Barrett, because Democrats were obviously asking a lot about the fate of the Affordable Care Act and trying to make um, her nomination to the court a lot about this health care fight. And you saw some Republicans basically trying to say, no one's saying the Affordable Care Act is going anywhere. You know, stop making this about the Affordable Care Act. They almost wanted to assure people that it, the law wasn't going away just because she was being confirmed to the court. So I think, you know, when you saw the Democrats take back the House in 2018, very much on a message of health care, you know, fresh off this fight to try to repeal the Affordable Care Act, you saw this, this calculation among many congressional Republicans that health care was not a strong topic for them, um, and this was not a good message for them with voters to talk about repealing the ACA anymore. Mm.
Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about uh, health care and health care policy in the context of the upcoming election. And we are going to get to your calls. Liz in Garden City, Aaron in Jefferson Chalmers, Elena in Detroit. We will hear from you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what you think about healthcare and the future of healthcare, depending on who wins the presidential election next week. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. On 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. Uh, we're talking this hour about health care. Healthcare policy, healthcare issues uh, in the context of the upcoming election. What will President Trump do with the healthcare system we have if he's reelected? Uh, what will Joe Biden, former vice president and one of the people who worked really hard to get the Affordable Care Act passed, what will he do uh, if he's elected president with regard to healthcare? We want to hear from you as well this hour. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number. Call and tell us what your experience has been interacting with our health care system since the Affordable Care Act uh, passed. Uh, we've got two great guests with us uh, to help us frame out this issue. Marianne Udall-Phillips Udo is founding executive director of the Center for Health Research Transformation at the University of Michigan and former director with the Michigan Department of Human Services. Also with us is Yasmin Abutalib. She is a health policy reporter for the Washington Post. Let's go to Liz in Garden City. Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my experience has been, uh, I was a substitute teacher and I got breast cancer and I'm on the Healthy Michigan plan and I was able to get it because the wages are so low for substitute teachers, Mm. and they don't offer health insurance, and I was so grateful to get it, especially when I I got my breast cancer diagnosis. And uh, now I'm unemployed, and I'm still on the plan, thankfully, and I'm so grateful to Governor Whitmer. She's been fighting for us, and I'm so grateful. Uh, And I've been trying not to think about what's going to happen if they take this away. Mm. Mm. Because, you know, with cancer, they tell you not to get stressed. And (laughs) good luck with that in the middle of a pandemic when you have a president trying to take away your health care. And it's out of vindictiveness. It's, I I can't see it any other way. It's like they're playing a game. Mm with people's lives. Mm. I, I, I just don't get it. It's unconscionable. It really is unconscionable. He knows he doesn't have another plan, but he thinks if he just pretends that he does, that we'll all buy it. Mm. So, so Liz, before I get uh, our guests to respond to, to what you're talking about here, tell me what, what you would do if there were no Affordable Care Act. What, what would 
healthcare look like for you? Uh, I would not be going to the doctor because they can't afford it. Um, I just would try and treat myself at home, basically, because I have a limited amount of savings, and I've been trying to live off that. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. How to, yeah. I just wouldn't go to the doctor unless I absolutely had to. Yeah, Liz, I really appreciate the call, and, and of course, that's... Uh, uh, that's a very stressful uh, story and, and experience that, that, that you're having. And I hope, uh, it, I hope it works out, obviously, and uh, in, in, in a way that doesn't prevent you from, from seeing your physician. Uh, Marianne Udall-Phillips, listening to Liz reminds me of, I think, you know, when we talk about uh, access for poor people to health care, I think in a lot of people's minds they're thinking of, um, they're thinking of the the, the chronic poor uh, people who who just um, uh, almost never have work, uh, don't have um, you know the opportunity to get to get work. But but I think Liz falls into a slightly different category. I mean, uh, there are people whose lives are economically precarious enough that a health condition could threaten to push them into. Poverty, and that I think uh, is is it's one of the gaps that Healthy Michigan helped fill, uh, and it's there, of course, uh, for people uh, who who experience that, so that um, they don't lose their health care if they lose lots of other things. Yeah, that you know that is so true, and and Liz's story is just so representative of the importance of Medicaid and some of the myths about Medicaid that, that you were just talking about, Stephen. So, you know, two thirds of those who are on Medicaid are working. They're working in and they're doing their very best uh, to be independent. But as Liz noted, they're working in low wage jobs that don't offer them health coverage. And health insurance is very expensive. People can't afford it who, who are working in low-wage jobs. They can't afford to buy it. Just as you heard from Liz, she wouldn't, she wouldn't be able to go out on the marketplace and afford a health insurance plan on her, home, on her own. She would have to really scrape by, and she would face the risk of not getting the critical medical care that she needs. Um, Medicaid provides coverage for people for a single person uh, up to, who, who earn up to $17,000 a year. That's not a lot of money. And, you know, those are the people who are working and who are falling through the cracks of being able to afford private coverage. So it's really a critical safety net for, for so many people. And I think you're right, Stephen. I think people think of Medicaid uh, or they sometimes think that people aren't working or they're lazy or, you know, that was sort of what was behind the idea of work requirements. Mm -hmm. and somehow people weren't trying to get jobs. And that's just, you know, that couldn't be the furthest from the truth. Uh, yes, me and uh, Liz wondered in her question about the motivation behind the attacks on the Affordable Care Act, and and she said that she felt like it's it's vindictiveness of of some sort. Uh, but but give us a sense uh, from from your perspective of what is behind the idea of repealing the ACA and uh, this idea of of continuously talking about repealing it without offering the idea of a replacement of, of what would what would happen 
instead? What is it? What is it that you think or that you're observing is is motivating motivating those arguments? I think to your second point, you know, why still talk about it without putting forward a plan, I think it's um, a, a political strategy more than anything else, um, you know, to to rail against it because there are still people who um, are upset about high premiums on um, Obamacare individual market plans. But when I have spoken with um, Republican strategists over the last couple of years, especially heading into the 2018 midterms, they sort of were saying that Republicans should not talk about the repealing the law anymore, that this was not a good political strategy, and that Republicans generally should not talk about health care as much and, and focus on issues like the economy because they just didn't have a very strong argument to make on, on health care. I think some of the initial reasons for opposing it were, um, you know, a sort of traditional conservative idea that this was too much government interference in health care um, and that they're, they're, it was too expensive. Uh, there were new taxes that came along with the law um, and that, you know, this, this idea of, of choice I think what that argument, you know, talking about choice often leaves out is that people often don't have a lot of good choices if there aren't um, protections built into healthcare laws. Um, you know, I think one thing we've seen, one of the more worrying trends we've seen with some of the undermining of the Affordable Care Act is the, is the growth of these uh, junk plans, you know, that may look like or market themselves as, as covering certain conditions and they're really cheap, you know, like $50 a month or something. But then when you do get sick, it doesn't actually protect you. So there's this argument about choice and not forcing things on people. I do think that argument often leaves out that the choices are not good for people, especially um, people who are who are struggling economically or or even doing fine economically, but are, are middle class. They just can't afford uh, really expensive private insurance without some sort of protection. Yeah. Uh, again, Liz, uh, really appreciate the call and best of, of luck f- uh, for you uh, dealing with uh, the healthcare system that we have and uh, whatever changes we might experience. Let's go to Elena in Detroit. Elena, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi. Hi. I just wanted to say a couple things just to um, sort of uh, recenter the discussion. And I would like for especially younger people to say to know we should never, ever again allow the Democrats to take Medicare for all off the table. We should never allow that to happen again. And number two, we should aspire to be a developed country. We should aspire to have a national health care for everyone and try to imagine what it would look like if everyone had health care. If you're a union person, imagine taking health care off the table when you're bargaining. <laughs> right. what could be left. And I want to also say that to those listening across the state, we really appreciate you defending our rights to take guns to the polls, but I would much rather have health care. <laughs> <All Thank you. laughs> Elena, I appreciate <laughs> The call uh, uh, and, and the thoughts there. Uh, Yasmin, we did see uh, in, during the Democratic primary a number of candidates say that they support Medicare for all and that they thought that was uh, the solution to uh, our, our problems with this, with this issue. Joe Biden, who emerged from that primary as the, as the candidate, says that's not his solution. Um, and, and still, even though he says that's not his solution, 
Republicans have just been hammering him, uh, saying that it is what he ultimately wants and that it is uh, that it is socialism. Talk about the politics of that phrase and that idea uh, in in this election. I think Republicans and especially the president's campaign have been trying to get this socialist moniker to to stick to to Vice President Biden. Um, I don't think it's really worked, but you know, obviously his plan is not. Um, a, a Medicare for all plan. He's proposed a, a public option, which was initially supposed to be part of uh, the ACA anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, lowering Medicare eligibility so that more people can get Medicare if they want it. Um, that's far from a, a single payer Medicare for all plan. Um, and, and even the Democrats who were pushing Medicare for all plan, no one was really pushing a, a true single payer. Everyone is on the same health insurance plan. Right. Um, so, so I, I don't think the, these attempts to, to brand Joe Biden as socialist have have really worked beyond maybe the the, the base of of Republican supporters. Um, and I think you know this was a very calculated decision by the Biden campaign uh, to not embrace the Medicare for all because obviously he's trying to run a pretty um, broad campaign and bring in a lot of voters. Um, you know there is the risk that you alienate progressives who are who believe very passionately in this and this is a key issue for them. Um, but I, I, again, I don't. I don't think you've seen the socialist argument work very well, um, and trying to attack him on that. Yeah, uh, Marianne, you know, Phillips have got just about a minute and a half left. But uh, talk about uh, the the idea of Medicare for all and whether that would improve conditions for uh, the people who who you're focused on helping. Well, you can certainly uh, Medicare for all or really any expansion of health insurance coverage would improve access to care for for many people in this country. You know, we still have so many who are uninsured. And again, uh, one of the things that Medicare for all has proposed, and there are a lot of variations on what Medicare for all would look like. But uh, one of the things that we know is that most of the proposals would also lower co-pays, deductibles, and and just generally make the care more affordable for people, even people who have insurance. As as I said, we now have more people actually who are underinsured than uninsured, and they they still can't get care. Um, But there are a lot of different proposals. You know, I've I've shown uh, many presentations on the various Democratic proposals that were occurring during the nomination process, and really all of them share this common view of expanding coverage. And there are different ways to get there. There's no perfect system. They all involve trade-offs. Medicare for all involves higher taxes that Americans don't really love paying. Um, But there are other ways to do it. And, And I think the real key is to make sure that we do whatever we can to make care and coverage affordable for all. Okay, Marianne Udall Phillips, Yasmin Abu Talib was really great to have both of you here. For this conversation, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we are going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to have a conversation with former Secretary of Health and Human Services under President Obama, Kathleen Sebelius. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.